Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. Job. No, I'm good. <laughs> she asked me, she's walking around, do you need water? No, but now, I, Brenda, I hope you brought enough for everybody here. Okay. All right. Good deal. I've now discovered that, you know, every time we have like a, a children's message up here, we've got some people that are just greatly gifted to be able to do that. Um, I've now decided that in, in reality that uh, cotton is actually a survivalist, okay? To know at his age, you've got to have... Three days, you can. You don't have water in three days, you're done. You're done, okay? How many of y'all knew that? How many of y'all, you've lived in Texas, haven't you? Yeah. All right. Guys, this morning we're going to be talking about what we shared last week. What are the essentials of a disciple of Jesus? Now, please understand this. Some of you here this morning have not yet invited Christ to become Lord of your life. And listen, that is perfectly fine. What you're going to get a picture of today is is what's in store for you. God does not want you to join a... Listen to me. Please hear this. God does not want you to join a Baptist church to try to go ahead and get better. Okay? That will not make you better. What He wants you to do and invites you to do is come and be a part of His family. And folks, that is not denominationally centered. That doesn't mean that if you're a Baptist that you have to join a Baptist church in order to be Baptist. That's not it. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a little portion of heaven for Baptist. And over here, there's not going to be a little portion of heaven for Church of Christ. And, and they're set up by themselves because they think they're the only ones there. Okay, That's not it. What's going to end up happening is that you and I will be gathered around the throne of God Almighty. And all of that stuff that right now separates us as believers because of either a doctrine or something we believe because we head to a particular church. Guys, listen, none of that's going to matter. None of it will matter. The only thing that will matter when you and I get to heaven is the gratefulness that we have to God that we are there. You will have a... Boy, I feel a sermon coming on. You'll have an additional joy in you that you have seen what God has prepared for you. The Bible says, and we talked about this three weeks ago, the Bible says heaven is not going to be streets of gold and little winged angels going around everywhere. What it's going to be is a gathering of God's people. And we are going to be worshiping Him, giving thanks for Him. You will have a job in heaven. You're going to have a job. Okay? And it will be perfectly suited for you. And you will have a place that God has designed just for you. Part of His mansion kingdom. Now all of this sounds wonderful, good, and it all sounds like, look what I get, look what I get, look what I get. That's not it. What you and I get, ultimately, is to be with the Lord. And we get to go ahead and celebrate His goodness forever and ever and ever. Guys, listen to me. When we meet here on Sunday morning at 10.30, this is practice for heaven. 
I drove by and watched the rat, the rattlers practicing. I watched and saw Miguel, our, uh, our our young man who's a member here, and he was out there kicking extra points and field goals. He has a le- he has a cannon for a leg, and he was drilling it between the uprights again and again and again. By the way, you know that the it's hot in here. I'm taking this off. All right. Oh, I feel it. Oh, stop. Come forward and be saved, all right? I was I was watching to you know that that the guy who is the number one scorer in the history of the state of Texas played at Navasota High School. Michael Martinez. He kicked all of those extra points for years and years and years when when Navasota was an absolute powerhouse and he is the number one scorer ever in high school football. That's going to be broken. All records will be. But they were out practicing. They were out practicing in the hot sun, practicing for Friday night and a game. Guys, when we meet in here on Sunday mornings, we are practicing for what heaven is going to be like. So when you pray, when you sing, when you are listening to the Word of God, not listening to a pastor, but listening to the Word of God, I want you to go ahead and not say, oh man, am I going to have to endure another 30 minutes? No. Start practicing your praise to God, your focus on God, because that, now this is not the sermon, you're just getting this free, okay? Practice for heaven, because we're going to be able to do this forever and ever. We talk about the essentials of being a disciple. These essentials are the next steps after you've decided to follow Jesus. Mark's Gospel talks about what Jesus said in five verses, the five essentials, the next steps that you and I are to take. We're going to look at them this morning. Now I'm going to invite you to stand together. We're going to read God's Word together. We stand to honor the reading of God's holy and perfect Word. Let me invite you to read with me. Then He called the crowd to Him along with His disciples and said, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with holy angels. May God bless the reading of His Word. Please be seated. Did you pick up the five principles that are found in these five verses? Did you find them? Each are a cornerstone of you growing as a Christ follower. And remember, let me back up. Do you remember your mama telling you that you had to eat a particular food that you were not fond of? Do you remember that? All right, what was the food? Spinach? Okay, the same thing Popeye told you you are supposed to eat, okay? Hominy? Hominy is must be in the Bible along with grits as an unclean food, okay? 
What else were you told? To, come on, folks. This, it can be a 45-minute sermon if you don't play. Onions? Liver and onions? Everybody say, oh. Yeah. All right. You remember when your mom said that you need to do this? It, it would make you strong. Well, these principles will do that in your walk with Jesus. They will make you strong. These are the five principles found in these five verses. Here's the first one. Disciples must deny themselves. Disciples must deny themselves. Now this doesn't mean that you deny who you are. By the way, that's really kind of easy because you and I are actually sinners that can only be saved from our sin by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Who we are, when it says deny yourself, and Jesus spoke these words to His disciples, when He said that, He's not talking about denying who you are in your true nature. What He's talking about is something far different. It means that once you've chosen to follow Jesus, that you will come third in all things. God is first. Others around you are second. And you're going to be the third person. You're going to be in priority, not the top of the list. Listen to me. We have been taught that what I want comes first. As a little kid, what I want always comes first. And we kind of go with that little flow until we come to a place where we say, you know, there's something or someone that is greater than me. Well, that something and someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He becomes the priority of your life. When you deny yourself, what you're doing is essentially saying, I choose, I choose, a free will choice. I choose to put God before me. Then as you begin to grow, you realize that God put Himself in a second place for you and me. He chose to live and die, live a human existence, and die on a cross to pay for your sin. So God teaches us that there's something. He's number one. But you put others ahead of yourself, just like He did. So where does that put you and me? It puts us third. It means that we no longer are the ones that call all of our own shots. Now please hear this. Do not miss this. You have a free will. Okay, everybody understand that? Your free will means that you can say at any point in your life, I want to do what I want to do. And God will politely, as you put Him number one in your life, He will sit there and go, have at it. Knock yourself out. And about the time that you find out that you haven't got it all together and you can't do everything the way that you want and your life isn't turning out to be the perfect thing that you want it to do. And you come running back to God and you say, God, I'm so sorry about this. I want to put you as number one again. He'll say, you know what? I'll do that. No problem. But don't make this same mistake again. If we're going to make mistakes, folks, make new mistakes. Don't make the same old mistake again. Denying yourself it's an interesting thing that when we put a priority on our own lives, God wants us to do different. And He wants us to put people, others, and Himself before us. We're to be different because of our relationship with Christ. The second of these, disciples must take up our cross. 
Do you feel like you've had... Let, let me ask you this. When you come to church here on Sunday morning at 10.30, do you feel like you've got to act different than you act the rest of the week? Do you? Do you feel like you've got to walk in the room and, you've got, and, and all of a sudden you've got to be nice to people? Okay? You drove over here, and as you're driving up here, people, Methodists and Presbyterians are cutting you off. And instead of going ahead and telling them what you really think about them, I'm headed to church, I've got to be nice. Let me share with you folks. God knows you in your car. He knows you in your home. He knows you at work. He knows you at school. He wants you to be the same. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says this. He said, be, be the same in season and out of season. Whether people are watching or not, be exactly the same. Well, that's going to be kind of rough in a Baptist church because, man, there could be some really bad things that happen here. Listen to me. God knows who you are. And what He's calling you to do is to take up your cross. What does that mean? Taking up your cross. Well, listen, folks, the cross was an execution device that the Romans had borrowed from the Assyrians. They modified it to make it, instead of just, just a death device, they modified it so it would torture the person as they died. Do you know how you die from crucifixion? Anybody want to be a Bible scholar this morning and tell us how? What, what, what is the clinical way that you die? Yes, sir. You suffocate. That's why in, on, on crucifixions, you see this little nail that, that is in Jesus' feet. And he has his arms. By the way, we see these crosses um, that, that, are, that are long, have, have a, a headpiece to it. They were actually much shorter. They wanted you to go ahead and be bent over. Why? Because you would have to push up with your feet and the pain of that, that spike through your feet and as you took a breath, because now your, your lungs were capable of expanding in your chest, because of fatigue, you would drop down and the pain would be in your hands. By the way, we have all these pictures of Jesus and the nail prints being here. We actually have recovered in biblical archaeology Roman crucifixions. They were not put in the hand. They were actually put right here, okay, right in the wrist girdle. The reason it's put there is you have a bundle of nerves that was supposed to be painful. And as you slump down, pain in your hands, pain in your chest, and you'd eventually get to the place where the pain was so great, you couldn't push yourself up and you would suffocate. The Bible says we are to take up our cross. Anybody here want to go ahead and take up a torture device and go ahead and say, this is how I want to live my life? Not likely. You see, Jesus makes it clear that we have to put to death our wants, our desires to get what we want. The idea of saying, I want this, is the exact opposite of what Jesus intends us to have. It expands the previous idea of denying ourselves. And it makes it clear that the denial is a permanent denial and not just for a moment. When you take up your cross, you're saying, God, who I was, it's not who I am now. And it's because of you that I'm not who I am. I am anymore, that person. The third, the disciples must follow Christ daily. 
That denying ourselves and taking up our cross is a daily occurrence. It's not just on Sunday mornings. Tomorrow is going to be a day that none of us in this room are certain to know the outcome of. But God already knows what tomorrow is going to have have for you. He's already seen it and He's preparing you right now for what is going to happen tomorrow. And that means that daily we must go to God and take not our medicine, but we have to go in and take what He gives us for that day to prepare us for the next day. When your mom said, eat liver and onions, eat spinach, my mom made us eat Brussels sprouts. There is nothing worse Everybody in this room needs to have a singular Brussels sprout. One, Okay, how many of y'all like Brussels sprout? Something is wrong with you all. No, come forward and be saved. Oh, my mom would say, these are good for you, and then she would give a clinical idea of why they were good for you. They provide you iron. I didn't know if they provided me iron. I was six years old. I didn't even know we'd, I'll eat a nail. That's plenty of iron. When I follow Christ daily, that means He gives you something to sustain you for this day and prepare you for the next. Denying myself, taking up my cross, and then going ahead and saying, I'm going to follow you daily, means I don't bail out when it seems convenient to you and me. When we become disciples of Christ, listen to me, that's why before you become a Christ follower, I want you I don't want someone this morning to just simply walk an aisle because they feel compelled to do it to please a pastor or because some parent or some child or some relative, a wife or a husband says, "Man, I want you to get saved and I want you to come join the church." Guys, listen to me. Do not do that. This is holy business between you and God. The only reason you should ever make a commitment is because God has compelled you. Not a pastor, not a, not a friend, or anyone else. It should be the Holy Spirit of the living God that says, this is your time. This is that place. Plug into what God has for you now. And guys, listen to me. That has to happen daily. I'm going to eat a great meal once we're finished here. I'm going to have a great time over lunch. I'm going to eat a lot because I'm pretty hungry right now. And if I get this thing through in the next five to ten minutes, you'll be able to beat everybody else in Navasota to wherever you want to go eat. Start praying. Here's the deal. If I ate everything that's on my plate, and I took and I picked off Caitlin and Stacy's plate too, and I gorged myself full of food... I would still need to eat tomorrow. God wants us to come to His table and feed upon the Word that He has given us and the joy that He allows us to have every day, not just on Sundays. I can guarantee you, if next Sunday you show up here and you have not eaten except on Sunday morning and you don't eat until next Sunday, you will be gaunt and weak and you probably couldn't get out of your car to get in here to worship. He wants us to come to Him daily. I want to ask you a question. Following Christ means that you let Him lead. 
This is going to be primarily for everybody over the age of 60 in here. And we've got a few folks that are. How many of you all have ever read the book, God is My Co-Pilot? Hold your hand up. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. It's, it's, it's a book by a fellow by the name of Robert Scott. He was a pilot in the Second World War. He wanted to be a fighter pilot, you know, in a single-seat pursuit plane and shoot down bad guys and all that kind of stuff. Well, he ended up flying transport planes, the most boring thing possible. But it was in the most dangerous place possible. He had to fly them over the Himalaya Mountains. And he was flying in supplies to the army in China. He literally writes that on several occasions, as he crossed the top of a mountain and the plane was struggling to barely get over the top, that his wings clipped trees. And he said, I felt, he was a believer, he said, I felt that God was with me the entire time. And that's where the the thing comes up. God is my co-pilot. Understand that when you walk into a plane, after you've gone through TSA, after you've sat there and sweated for a while and you're walking in, if you glance to your left and you see the cockpit of the airplane, there are two seats generally. There's a left seat and a right seat. The left-hand seat is the pilot's seat. The right-hand seat is the co-pilot's seat. So what this guy is saying, Robert Scott is saying, is God was sitting over on the right-hand side the entire time that I was flying these missions. Let me share with you, I think he's wrong. God does not want to be the co-pilot of your life. He wants to be in the left-hand seat, piloting and directing your life where it needs to go. Now listen to me. You will still, as a co-pilot, have your hands on the wheel and you will have your feet on the rudders and you will have your hand in grip of the, of the throttle. But God wants to be the one that sets and charts the course of your life. He wants to do that and wants you to understand that so that you follow Him daily. So are you letting God pilot your life daily? Is that happening or do you still occupy the left-hand seat? The fourth principle that is deadly important is that disciples must place a value on salvation. How much is God's forgiveness worth to you? Is there a price that you'd be willing to part with out of your wallet or your purse in order to guarantee you getting into heaven. There were churches at one time that said, if you pay a particular price, you guarantee your entry into heaven when you die. Let me tell you what, my Bible says that's not true. There was one price that was paid for you and me to get to heaven, and it was Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And when He died on the cross, He knew who you were, He knew what you'd done, He loved you anyway, and He died so that you would have the opportunity. Listen to me. It's not a guarantee, it's the opportunity to choose what He did to buy you into heaven. Let me put it this way. Um, I'm going to pick on somebody. Daniel, one of my friends. I love Daniel. Daniel is a who. All right, Daniel, 
Are you going to eat lunch today? Probably. Yeah, you're going to. Is it going to be good? Yep. Good thing. You're sitting by your mom. So far, you're batting a thousand, buddy. Here's the deal. What if your mom and your dad and all of your brothers said, we're going to eat lunch, but we're not going to give you any? Would that make you upset? Yeah. You'd be hungry and you'd be upset. Guys, listen to me. Sam and Heather are going to feed Daniel, right? They're going to feed you lunch. God is going to feed you. He's not going to leave you out. What can you do to say thank you for your meal that you're going to eat? Well, you could say to your mom, hey, thanks for making food. Thanks, Dad, thanks for growing the food. Thanks for providing for me. What can you do to say thank you to God? Listen to me. There's not a thing we can do. We can't pay enough for that. But folks, you can say thank you and you can live your life as a life of thank you from this moment forward. Not to go back and say, well, you know, I've got religion and therefore I'm okay. No. You go ahead and say thank you to God by how you're going to live your life right now. By listening to Him and when He begins to call you and draw you to Him, you say, yes, Lord, I'll do that. Whatever it is, I will be willing to do that. The value of my salvation, God, I can't, I can't understand what that values. Your, your salvation, by the way, is priceless in the biggest sense. But it had a cost to only one person, and that cost was Jesus Christ. And it cost Him His life. Priceless. And yet at no cost to you. The good news is you cannot ever pay that back. But God offers you the chance to live for Him rather than to die for your wrongdoings. That is the great bargain, folks. And it is offered to you this morning. The last of these five principles and essentials of your life in Christ. Disciples must realize that no cost is too great. So what is the cost of following Christ? Well, it's whatever He wants. And it's all of who you are. So how can you start to get back into the game of your walk with Jesus? Here's some things that you might think to be a part of. Understand that these don't take the place of time with God. Sharing your faith story with your friends and family. Instead, this is over and above the normal. First of all, Work with kids. Work with kids. Some of you are doing that vocationally. I'm pointing at you all, okay? I know who you are. I know what you do for livings. You teach. You're involved with kids. Matter of fact, some of you tomorrow are going to start the first day of school. Navasota Independent Schools, we start tomorrow morning. Stu, what time are they supposed to be there? Each campus is different. Be, be there at 7.15. You'll be on time. The teacher, 6.15? 6.50? Teachers need a raise, okay? All right? They just got one? 
No complaints. All right. Folks, there is no cost that is too great to pay for doing what God wants you to do. And one of the ways you can go ahead and start the process of getting out of the spiritual malaise you're in is to ask God to let you work to serve Him, in particular with something like students, little boys and girls. It can happen on Wednesday night. If you want to be a part of Wednesday night to help out, to do things like help help escort kids to and from the different places that they're going to be a part of on Wednesday night, Wednesday evening church, you can go ahead and see Joanna. Joanna, raise your hand. Stand up and raise your hand. There she is right there. You can holler at her. You can holler at Jenna. You can holler at, at Natalie. You can go ahead and holler at me and say, I want to plug into that. I want to plug in so that I can go ahead and serve the Lord, serving little boys and girls. Why is this important? Because when you serve the least of the people that seem to matter in our society, you end up serving who God intends you to serve. Unfortunately, we live in in a society right now that says that the elderly and the young are throwaways. Every year, 1.2 million children never take their first breath. That's how society has said the value of human life is quantified. I share that with you not to go ahead and shock you folks, but to tell you that you and I have a tremendous responsibility, not as Baptists, but as Christ followers. And I want to share with you that you have another opportunity to work with kids. It's coming up very shortly. It's upward basketball. Can you love a group of kids enough to give up a Saturday morning this fall and one hour of a weeknight to teach them basketball skills and life skills to learn about Jesus? Can you work? Let let, Let me narrow it down. Can you work? Gordon, raise your hand. There you are back there. Can you work with that man in the kitchen providing food for little boys and girls? Can you work with somebody like that? Can you work with Hollis? Hollis, hold your hand up. You're sitting right in front of him. Hold your hand up, Hollis. There he is. Can you work with Hollis as he's getting referees together for the games? Now understand, if you're going to be a referee, you're going to get yelled at. Even though this is upward basketball, everybody's a winner. By the way, even Johnny Pierce and I coach together. I keep, don't duck out of the way, Steve, that's okay. Johnny Pierce and I coach together, and when we coach together, we keep score, even though we were coaching the teams that weren't supposed to keep score. We kept score, okay? You play... You got there. You keep score. I want to win. Everybody, everybody understand that? Do y'all like to win? I love to win. I don't want to go out there and have people play or play and not win. I'm going to keep score. We go into into upward basketball, and all of a sudden, when we see these pictures behind us, it will take people that will be willing to coach these. And listen to me. Some of you are out here, and you say, "Well, I, you know, I." I didn't play basketball, and I can't do that. Listen, if you can love kids, we will give you the material so that you can teach basketball. 
Basketball is a simple game. You have a round ball and you've got a cylinder. You put the ball in the cylinder. You keep the other guy from putting the ball into their cylinder. Simple game. You can do anything you want to keep them from, from scoring a basket. If you do it five times, you get to sit down. It's a simple game. Coach, Coach Chris, am I getting this roughly correct? He's the basketball coach at Navasota High School. All right. If you want to go ahead and, and plug in, these are just two things you could plug into. If you want to plug into upward basketball, Randy, raise your hand. Randy is our commissioner for upward basketball. You talk to Randy or you talk to me. We're going to have next week on the Lord's Supper table over here a sign-up for you to go ahead and say, I will coach basketball. Women or men can coach it. Women or men. We will need probably a minimum of 20. A minimum of 20. Are there 20 people in this room this morning? A room of a 1,000. A room of several dozen who would be willing to say, I will give up one Saturday and one hour on a weekday to go and invest in lives that could mean an eternity. That could mean an eternity. All of these things take time and commitment and energy. And we're past that point in most of our lives Look, no guilt here. But have you done anything that has stretched you to become an essential Christ follower in the past year? If not, then a God that loves you, that bought you and paid for you, that has prepared a place in heaven for you, simply says to you, I want you to become an essential part of my kingdom. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning. Not that we have to sign up to coach. Not that we have to somehow become better than we are right now. But God, You have instead called us to walk closer with You than we have ever walked before. And in the next few moments, Lord, as we come to this time of commitment, as we sing this song that will give us an opportunity to publicly say what we have privately had business with you about, I pray, Father, that our answer will be yes. You're calling some here this morning to a relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time. Others are here that would say, I need to plug my life into a church family. And this is that place and this is that time. And so, God, I pray that your Spirit will work this morning among us. Draw us not to a church, but to you, so that we can give you glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let me invite you to stand together. Our praise team is going to go ahead and share in a song this morning. If God is speaking to you about a decision that needs to be made, I'll be down here at our altar area. I invite you to simply come during the singing of this song. And as God leads, you come.